This episode is brought to you by the Chronicle Protocol, a cost-efficient, transparent, and decentralized oracle. Chronicle has developed a next-generation oracle primitive called Scribe, which reduces oracle gas fees on L1s and L2s by over 60%. You'll hear more about Chronicle later in the show. The product you already know and love just got even better. If you are stressed about managing your on-chain portfolio across different wallets and different chains, I'm super excited to tell you about MetaMask Portfolio, which lets you manage all of your crypto across networks and wallets in one place. Do more in Web3 your way with the MetaMask Portfolio Manager. You will hear more about them later in the show. All right, everyone. Back with another roundup. Back with popular demand. We have uh, Casey Wagner, senior reporter at BlockWorks. Case, welcome back. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I I was like 50 50 that I was that I was going to get the uh, the look back after you came on. I thought Santi was going to me, but <laughs> I fired a bunch of trolls to just comment on YouTube say Yano out. Yeah, 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 exactly. You got all so my different alt, alt accounts. Yeah. Engagement farming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyways, it got to my head. So um, good. So, Case, fill us in. So, you, you've been at the courthouse. You, I saw you just got back into the BlockWorks office today. You were there all day. Tell, tell us about what's going on this week. Yeah. Um, so, the trial's on week three, for those who have not been following it as closely. Um, when I left, they were on... The government's almost done. They think that they'll rest their case early on next week. Um, there's actually a break. There's no court on Friday of this week or Monday through Wednesday of next week, the judge has a conference, but that's good news for the defense. They'll have a lot longer to prepare. Um, The government's expected to rest next Thursday morning and the defense will start that afternoon. Um, The defense asked the judge if they could start the following Friday instead of that day. Uh, The judge denied that. Um, It's looking and sounding anecdotally more likely that Sam will take the stand. So which personally I hope he does. I think it would be great to watch, um, but we'll have to see. Do you think, uh, I mean, is, do you read much into this idea that the government's going to wrap up early? I think, so what I'll say about that is the government yesterday, they pulled two witnesses that the judge was really upset about. The judge basically said, this was pointless. This was a waste of time. You've made your point. Um, One of the witnesses was the former director of policy at FTX, and she actually joined in April 2022 and then obviously left in November 2022. Um, So she wasn't there for the parts where FTX was drafting their policy statements. Um, I don't know if you all remember, there was a blog on FTX's website that really outlined all of their plans. Sam testified, I think, three times in front of the House and Senate in 2021. This policy director was not there for any of that, so she couldn't speak to it. Um, And basically what the judge ended up saying was the government was using her as a mannequin um, just to like show videos and clips of Sam's testimonies, which, again, she wasn't there for. And the judge was really upset. He said that it was just a massive waste of time. It was a waste of resources. You know, they, they brought this woman in from D.C., Um, The second witness that the judge was really upset about um, was someone that works at Google, and their role at Google is to respond to government subpoenas. And the prosecution basically called him to confirm that all of the Google Docs and spreadsheets that have been entered into evidence are authentic. Um, He was on the stand for, 
I mean, it felt like 10 minutes, maybe it was half an hour, but in court time, that's incredibly short. Um, they flew him in from Texas and Kaplan was like, again, it's a massive waste of resources. You know, these are public funds being used to, to fund the prosecution's case. And mm -hmm. this witness truly added nothing. Um, so I would assume that after those comments from Kaplan, the government is thinking a little bit more carefully. Um, you know, their witness list is extremely long. They're obviously not calling everyone on it. Um, personally, as someone that's that's been in the courtroom, I think that they've made their point several days ago. But, you know, when you get into this burden of proof, they have to have the jury believe beyond a reasonable doubt that Sam committed these crimes. Um, there's very yeah. specific pieces of evidence that go with each individual count. He's facing seven counts. So there are like boxes that they need to check in that sense. But yeah. I think that their point has has clearly been. Yeah. So when we recorded the episode two weeks ago, um, we that day, Caroline, I think was called in as a witness. And then it was a few days. I think it was a couple of days where she went in and that was like the star, you know, witness. Yes. Um, then you had Nishad, I believe, another co-founder um, this week. So maybe get us up to speed on kind of your highlight of all of that and kind of the, the more kind of salient points. Yeah, definitely. Um, Caroline lasted like four days. She went from week two or week one into week two. Um, it was, it was damning. I mean, she's facing 110 years in prison. Um, she's facing seven counts, which is actually the same that Sam's facing. They're a little bit different, but all for fraud and conspiracy. She, she got really emotional. She started crying a couple of times, um, on like her fourth day in court. I think when she finally finished, when she walked off of the stand out of the courtroom, like she was breaking down. I don't know if it seemed like it was just relief that, that she was done. Um, you know, she's on the stand for so many hours, just answering really, really hard questions. But again, as part of her cooperation agreement with the government, um, the more forthcoming she is and the more that she helps the prosecution prove their case, um, potentially the better sentence she'll receive. So obviously the defense was trying to really hammer in that point that she's speaking in a way that would help her in the end. And this judge that's presiding over Sam's case will also be sentencing Caroline. Her sentence hasn't been scheduled yet, but it does depend to some extent on how well she did over the last couple of days. Um, and I would say like the highlights from that, she knew so early on that they were using customer funds. She said that it really stressed her out. She said that she knew it was wrong, but she continued doing it. She said that she actually created the falsified financial statements that they sent to investors um, at Sam's direction, all of this she said that Sam instructed her to do, but she very knowingly did commit fraud and she was very clear about that. So it was, it was damning for sure. Yeah. Um, what about, uh, what is it, Niraj? Nishad. Nishad, yeah. Yeah, so Nishad saying, Nishad, Gary, and Caroline are, are kind of the inner circle um, that have all been charged. Um, all of them have taken cooperation agreements with the government. Caroline's facing the most time. I think Nishad's facing like 65 years. I'm not quite sure about Gary. Um, Nishad's testimony, I would say the defense did a better job at kind of countering his story. Nishad had a very similar narrative that, you know, when he found out, which was later than when Caroline found out about the missing funds, about 
you know, this money being transferred out of FTX customers' accounts and into Alameda's account. Um, Nishad said that he felt very guilty. He was very concerned. He knew that there was a massive hole in the balance sheet. Um, you know, he's all this whole group, um, Sam recruited back in 2018 from the effective altruist community. Um, and Nishad was really the only one that like really kind of mentioned that on the stand. He didn't say effective altruist, but he kept speaking about like, you know, wanting to, to make money and, and to do it in an ethical way and to spread the money in an ethical way. And that was really it. what FTX and Alameda were doing was really at odds with his personal beliefs. But as the defense pointed out, he still did it. Um, the defense actually pointed out, so there were a lot of personal loans that Alameda made to Sam and Gary and Nishad. Um, Nishad actually received a loan, I think in October, 2022 to buy a home for like $2 million, $3 million, something around there. Um, and this was after he knew that they were missing all of this money. So the defense is like, okay, well, if you felt so guilty, if you knew it was so wrong, why did you continue to take out loans and buy property? Um, so that was a small win. The defense hasn't had many, I'll say. But mm -hmm. again, yeah. like they're all, they're saying the same thing. They're corroborating yeah. each other's stories. Um, and they keep kind of going back to this sense of Sam told us to do this and Sam was the ringleader. And that really is the key, right? Which is always pinning it back to Sam. Like the, 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 the government really wants to make it very clear that Sam was a mastermind orchestrating all of this knowingly. And he had lieutenants under him, but he was always in the know and directing them. Um, and it was a very intimidating environment for all these kind of like lieutenants of his, even though they were co-founders, he was very much in charge and, and knew about it. Yeah, definitely. And going back yeah. to the government's burden of proof with some of these, a lot of the charges that Sam is facing is conspiracy. And so when the jury is in the room deliberating, they need to prove or believe without a reasonable doubt that Sam conspired with at least one other person. And if it was only him, a conspiracy counts wouldn't mm -hmm. stick. Okay, so can it. you get a sense of um, just how the jury is feeling? Like, do they show their emotions? Do they show anger towards Sam or other emotions? Yeah, the jury's, it's been fun, actually. So you get there so early, so you can be in the courtroom and, and see what's happening. And, you know, Sam's parents are there and you can see the jury's reactions. Um, a few of them have been asleep, like, almost the entire time. Um, the judge hasn't said anything about it, which... Is strange. I actually wrote about this for Blockworks. Um, I spoke to an attorney and it's, I can only assume that the members of the jury that are asleep, the defense is fine with it because they think that these jurors would probably find Sam guilty anyway. But if the defense or the prosecution for that matter wants to use any of this in an appeal, um, they would have to bring it to the judge and say, they would have to put it in the record that a juror has been sleeping. Um, every attorney I've talked to has said that Sam's team is without a doubt already working on the appeal. So it's it's interesting that they haven't brought it up. But to answer your question, the jury's bored. Um, there's a lot of spreadsheets. They've had several expert witnesses that are just going through like pages and pages of cell phone documents and financial statements and bank statements and I mean, I'm bored at points. This, this isn't like a murder where there's like drama around every corner. No, I mean, it's, it's white collar crime. Like, yeah. and they're, they're trying to prove yeah. wire fraud. So literally, I guess the, two, yeah. the, the two more important things that I picked up on, uh, maybe there's others, but one was there is kind of these chats that have been screenshotted. I know, I don't know who actually took them, but there's 
one where they very clearly like the priorities of Sam. We talked about this in the prior roundup, um, um, which was one of those was like taking down Binance or, or actually placing regulator, directing regulators' attention to Binance. And that's very interesting um, when you think about everything that's going on, of course, now with Binance and, um, you know, how the government's going after them. Uh, you know, Sam, I think, did a very proactive effort with the donations, buying this kind of political goodwill. Uh, there was like over 35, like, I think it was Ryan Salami who did a lot of these kind of political uh, donations through a bunch of other people. Um, but yeah, it was uh, pretty, pretty interesting to see that. And the other one was, um, I guess, this... Uh, uh, intent to like bribe Chinese government officials because they had over a hundred million dollars or a billion dollars stuck in uh, two Chinese based exchanges, and they it yeah, was like it was OKX it was like and, and Huobi, I think. Yeah, Huobi. Yeah. Yeah, and so they bribed. It was to the order of a hundred million to get out. Like it, it was basically a ten percent tax to get your money uh, out of China, uh, and so those two were. I don't know if that's included in the yeah. sentence or no, there's it a is. much focus it is. on bribing, like because that's yeah. a. It's a Foreign Corrupt Practices Act or whatever? The, so that charge specifically is not included in this particular criminal trial. Um, he's not, Sam has not currently been charged with bribery in any sense. He might be later. Um, there is another trial that's scheduled for March that deals specifically with the campaign finance stuff, which is interesting because the government has spent a really long time talking about campaign finance fraud. They've talked about how they funneled money through Alameda to Nishad and Gary, who made donations, and Ryan, um, who made personal donations and how the money went through. Nishad actually gave his bank account login information to Ryan, and Ryan would like make the transfers for him. Um, Nishad said that he signed like a lot of blank checks that Ryan then made to, to political candidates. What comes next after this is... Uh, one, I'm curious to like you're talking. It sounds like you're talking to a bunch of like lawyers in the room, and what their sentiment is around where the kind of the pendulum is swinging. Um, what kind of sentence Sam can get? How quickly? How can we know if Sam like? There was also then, something big that came out this week, right? Which was the the there was the GC who kind of went off the went off the rails a little bit this week. It sounded like that the lawyer. Uh, yeah the the ex wasn't the ex. FTX GC was yes a- yes he actually he took Can Sun um, he started today when I left they were on his cross exam that was incredibly damning um, the government basically went through the FTX terms and conditions line by line where it says like and I quote we promise we will not use your money like we will safeguard uh-huh. your assets none of your money will be transferred or loaned or anything and, and if he's the lawyer though the lawyer is the one who writes these terms so why is yes. he how is he not why is he so saying he that? wrote it um he was given immunity mm-hmm. um so he said basically how he found out about all of this alleged fraud and money stealing was on November 7th so like what was that, like three days before FTX filed for bankruptcy, um, Sam directed the attorney, Can, to get on a call with Apollo. They were like frantically trying to raise billions of dollars in order to meet their loan repayments and satisfy customer withdrawals. Um, Apollo Capital asked for financials. And that is when Nishad, or excuse me, when Can saw the balance sheet and saw that there was a $7 billion hole and he quit the very next day. So 
And then he went to prosecutors, um, agreed to help them, and in exchange was granted immunity. So he will not be charged with anything. He will not spend any time in jail or anything. Um, it was his, I'm curious to, to read about um, how his cross ended up finishing up because he kept saying that he just took Sam at his word. And when Sam said, yeah, we don't commingle funds and we keep client assets in this account and we keep Alameda money in this account and none of it's ever crossed, um, the attorney just took his word for it. And the attorney was the one that was writing up all of these loan agreements, um, like $2 billion in loans made to the founders, to Gary, Sam and Nishad. This attorney approved all of those contracts and, you know, he was told that the money was coming from profits from Alameda and profits from FTX, not from customers. And he took them at their word for it. So it is I'm curious to see if the defense is successful in in poking holes in that narrative and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, discrediting him as a witness. But, yes, he was granted immunity. His future job Um, prospects, however, I'm not not so sure about Speaking of, I am curious about two things. One, where is Sam Trabuco? Um, right, because he was in he was in the chat. He was in the insider group. We all want to know where he is, and what his deal is. And the other one is the auditor here. Like, you know, this is an Enron type of situation in terms of both magnitude and the importance and significance to the industry. Um, what about the auditing firm that was signing off on these audits? Um, you know, because they've done work with a number of other crypto players. I mean, they're they're like Arthur. An- People should just for memory going down memory lane. Like Arthur Anderson was signing off of Enron audits and their accounting gimmicks and treatment of a lot of these kind of. Anyways, the, the gymnastics that they were doing went away, but it was the auditor that kind of like was very complicit in all of this. Um, clearly, like a lot of investors and people relied on the audit, which was, you know, bogus. Um. Where are they? Are they a witness? Are they also fraud? Like, going to be charged at some point because of gross negligence? Is that even being discussed in the courtroom? I am not sure what the auditors actually audited. Um, every investor, every lender that has testified so far, so investor in FTX, lender to Alameda. I mean, um, they have said that every financial statement that they received was unaudited. Um, which BlockFi, Zach Prince testified last week, I believe. Um, and he said that, yeah, with crypto firms, we took unaudited financial statements all the time. It's very common in this industry. It's hard to find auditors that will work with crypto companies. So that wasn't in and of itself necessarily a red flag. But these lenders have confirmed that they did not receive anything audited. Um, the government has not actually said what was audited. Um, I'm curious if the defense might bring that up in their case. Um, try to place some of the blame on them. But to answer your question, no, that has not really been brought up. I'm also curious. Um, but again, like if they were not signing off on these balance sheets, it's not their problem. Yeah, they're just, no, not their problem, right. Um, and Sam Trabuco, that's yeah, the million dollar question. Um, I thought he might be called there. So we knew that two people had immunity now we know that that was Adam Udidia who worked at Alameda and then um, Ken's son, the attorney that we were just speaking about. Those are the two with immunity. I thought that Sam Trabuco might be one, but he's obviously not. Um, where in the world is he? I have no idea. Could he be charged with something? Maybe. Every witness is talking about him, like Caroline, Nishad, Gary, Adam. 
everyone is mentioning him all the time. Weird because he wasn't in the Michael Lewis book either. It's like, what did he do to get off from? Yeah, Lewis? how did he avoid <laughs> all of this? Boat somewhere. Yeah. So, so far, so far. yeah, so far. He's maybe he's maybe on his boat in international waters waiting to be. <laughs> no, I, Alameda, I think he is. Yards. Yeah. Yeah, who knows? It's, I mean, the, the most damning thing uh, that I've seen is obviously, yeah, case of your point, like everyone's talking about him, but also he's in these chats where they're talking about bribing Chinese officials. Like he's in the signal yeah. group. He was the one that said like, oh, Hani was the um, yeah, old fired, employee. Yeah, yeah who, who uh, or yeah, Handy, who um, his father was yeah, actually a police seen. officer in China. They made it sound, in court, they made it sound like this person was like much higher up, but regardless... And Trabuco was the one who sent the message that was like, oh, did they turn us in? Like, are we in trouble now? Incredibly implicating. So, yeah, we'll see. But again, that, that's not a charge that has been brought against Sam at this point. Yeah. Um, and it's the fact that the judge even allowed that to come into play, I thought was interesting. The defense did try hard to keep all of that out of it because he's not being charged with it. But the jury can't, you know, the judge will say, by the way, the defendant is not being charged with bribery. Keep that in mind. But the jury can't unhear that. You know, they're human. They're going to, yeah. they are going to. It, it just paints a much more negative picture, right? On, on, the, on the person and, and the, the intentions behind the man, you know? Yeah. Anything uh, worth highlighting in the kind of last, you know, two weeks or something that's coming up that you're looking out for uh, as it relates to the case? Yeah, definitely. Um I, so the defense is planning on starting next Thursday. If, and this is based on my personal opinion and what some attorneys have told me, Sam, I think will either be the first witness they call or the last. Um, if he's testifying against his attorney's recommendations, which is very likely, um, then he would be the last witness. If the defense is now crafting their case on something that Sam will say on the stand, then he'll probably be first. So potentially as early as a week from today, we'll, we'll know what Sam is saying. Um, I have no idea who else they would call, to be honest. A couple of their expert witnesses have gotten thrown out. So all the witnesses need to go through approval with the judge and the opposing side can, can, you know, raise concerns and, and get witnesses taken off the list. They can get evidence expunged. So there's been a lot of that. Um, I will follow up on the Adderall situation. It appears that it has been resolved. Um, there was a meeting in chambers with, so we were not there for that, um, with Sam and, and both councils. And since that meeting, there have been several morning breaks where Sam is taken into a back room and I can only assume being given some drugs, but I will say that the judge was pretty funny. The judge said, I've seen no evidence that Sam needs the stimulant. And also, apparently, the prison doctors have said that he does not need as high of a dose as he is receiving. But he's just hooked on Adderall. Yeah. Is. And I will say, I don't think that anyone should be forced to detox in prison. So I'll give it to him. I don't know. <laughs> let them have it. Yeah. God, this is so great. Um, so, timeline wise, uh, the defense is going to take over, they're going to call us some witnesses. And then the process, the sentencing, if any, or whatever the outcome is, we will know, was it November, sometime in November? So probably. Um, the defense said that, so they'll 
likely start on October 26th. They think that they'll probably end by like November 3rd or sometime in that week. They don't think their case will take very long. Although again, if Sam takes the stand, I mean, that's going to be another Caroline Ellison situation where it just takes days and days. Um, and then the jury will be given their instructions and they'll deliberate and they will take as long as they take. Um, you know, it, it could be hours, it could be weeks. Like we, we just don't know. And then sentencing will happen much, much later. That's like months down the line. And again, everyone I've talked to has said that the defense is without a doubt already working on some sort of appeal. So they basically, they have to ask to appeal. The judge has to grant that. And then they have to issue the appeal. It's a super long process. Um, but if Sam's found guilty on any of the charges, I think we can definitely expect that. An appeal. An appeal, yeah. And then, yeah. again, he he has this other trial scheduled for March about these campaign finance charges. If the jury finds him guilty and then his appeal is denied, I can see him taking some sort of plea deal for these campaign finance charges rather than sitting through an entire trial if he's already being sentenced to decades in prison. I can't see why he would sit through another trial but he has the right to a trial. So we don't know. And there's a lot of ifs in that scenario, of course. Yeah. I mean, maybe as a last question, like what's the sentiment uh, amongst like the lawyers in there, in the room, other reporters, uh, does it feel like a slam dunk for the government? Uh, uh, and, does, and if so, does. is it like a life in prison kind of thing? Yeah. Attorneys are, they're a little cagey about talking about sentencing just because, no one, I think, wants to, to be wrong and, and to make a guess. I mean, if I had to guess, I, I'm thinking like 40, 50 years, like maybe longer. Um, I'm not an expert, but the, the phrase that attorneys keep saying is, you know, you can only play the cards you're dealt. And Sam's attorneys just don't have good cards and the facts are bad. So yeah. dealing with that is, is hard. Um, again, I mean, the, the government, like they're pulling in FBI agents that are analyzing the financial statements they're pulling. They paid a professor a hundred thousand dollars plus additional fees for taking the stand to, to create a whole study on, on financial forensics and accounting. And it's wild. It doesn't feel like we need that much, uh, forensics here. It's pretty out. I mean, look, if they want yeah. to pay me 250 K I'm, I'm, I'm happy to go to DC and just, yeah, we'll take that deal. Yeah. Right. Empire is happy to. We, we've got a Blockworks research analyst who will uh, happy happily yes. do that yeah. for a uh, yes. discount. <laughs> um, well, good. Um, out of context, Yano, I don't know if either of you know, but what was the sentence for uh, Bernie Madoff? Was that uh, just just because that's my comp, really? Like in terms of the magnitude and the scale. I think like, it was life. More more than life. It was two. I think more than life. Double like a double life sentence. It's like 140, 100. Yeah, it was just like. Basically, whatever life you expectancy will die is, yeah, yeah. And, and then you die. Um, yeah, Sam, what, I think the maximum. What makes you think is less? Yeah. I don't know. Sam's maximum is 115. So, again, like, I, I, I don't know. But every day, I'm more convinced that the government is just doing a really, really good job. But who knows? Maybe the defense will surprise us. Maybe a week from now, I'll be saying they have, they have some good points. I think, I mean, Santi, to, the, my answer to that would be that the Madoff losses were bigger than this. Like Madoff's estimated loss, I think the total Ponzi scheme was $65 billion of client assets. The total losses there were uh, $18 billion. Um, so, but $18 billion is still bigger than whatever's going to be lost in FTX. $8 billion on paper, of course, Anthropic might come and save the day, but 
but still, it's it's still no, it's pretty large. It is. Oh. Government cares okay. less about crypto investors too. <laughs> I know, and the the jury. I I'm curious how the jury is perceiving some of these victims that the government has called um, FTX customers in, and you know these are people that had tens of thousands of dollars to play with in crypto markets, and I I just I can't see that sitting super well with the jury or being relatable to them. But again, yeah. you're wrong. Who knows what they're thinking? Yeah. Okay, so we're talking uh, DCG and Genesis and Gemini next. Do you do you have any interest in joining us? Any any? Uh... I will step out. I will say I I am so behind on the news cycle of being in the courtroom every day without any technology. I read the first few pages of the complaint. It sounds really bad, and I will tune into the podcast to listen to what you guys have to say about it. But thank you for having right. me. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Bye, See guys. You. Well, that's that. That's that. It's great having someone on the on like who's actually in the courthouse. Yeah, yeah. Teams are must be a bit surreal experience. Uh, it yeah. felt like uh, the first week was like, like the first two weeks were just like. Re- I mean, these there's another guy that I'm following who's like inner city press or something, and and this guy's like showing videos and all this stuff. Well, he's the only it's, he's the only one who has a pass to get in in the actual courtroom. So media with, like where like Casey yeah. with another reporter James like where they're sitting is in a separate area. It's like the media area, I think, but it's a separate area. Um, mm-hmm. They're not actually in the room. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. This guy in the yes. city press is the only, only one in the rooms. This episode is brought to you by Chronicle protocol, the best on-chain source for cost-efficient, verifiable data. For anyone who listens to Empire a lot, you know that we talk a lot about MakerDAO. Well, Chronicle Protocol is this novel Oracle solution that has exclusively secured over 10 billion in assets for Maker and its ecosystem since 2017. And for the first time ever, super excited to share here that Chronicle's Oracle service is now publicly available for anyone to use. Compared to using other Oracle services, Chronicle offers a 60% reduction in gas fees. They have an unparalleled level of transparency at Chronicle. They offer a dashboard that allows anyone to track the genesis and trajectory of the data it provides, marking this milestone in on-chain data availability. Chronicle is endorsed by a network of the most revered validators, including Etherscan, Infura, Gitcoin, DYDX, and MakerDAO. It is time for a paradigm shift in Oracle development, a future where data is verifiable, operational costs are contained, and the possibilities are immense. You can learn more about Chronicle at chroniclelabs.org. That is chroniclelabs.org. The product you already know and love and have probably used for years, MetaMask, just got even better. I want to tell you about MetaMask Portfolio. If you're like Santi and me, managing your crypto assets across a bunch of different wallets and networks can be overwhelming and it can be complicated. That's why I'm excited that MetaMask Portfolio has partnered with Empire. It's really easy to get started. Just connect your MetaMask wallet to get a bird's eye view of all your coins, tokens, and NFTs in one place. You can easily buy, sell, swap, bridge, and stake your crypto assets at competitive rates all within the MetaMask app from a vetted list of providers. The MetaMask Portfolio lets you do more your way. Hit the link in the description of today's episode to get started. And not to bore people to death around this stuff, but th- there's some uh, something really hot dropped today. It was the um, the Attorney General of New York. Yeah, uh, NYIG uh, basically argued that uh, Gemini misrepresented its earned product as liquid and safe, but the real 
Oh, I got the thumbs up, by the way. <laughs> I updated it. But the real kicker is that Genesis, DCG, and they specifically called out uh, Michael Morrow and Barry Silbert. They said that they, quote, disguised $1.1 billion in losses through this months-long campaign of misstatements, omissions, and concealment. So I think, I haven't read it yet. I think you actually read the whole thing. Would love yeah. to hear uh, the update and the summary. I didn't upload it to ChatGPT. I was tempted to, but I actually read through that. You folks, actually read so it. All, yeah. all 58 pages. Yeah. You know, uh, power reading. Unheard of in 2023. <laughs> I know. Right. Uh, it, was, it was just like, it read, it was like a thriller of sorts. Yeah. Um, well, it's crazy because you, you actually know some of these people too, right? Like in the, yeah. when Casey was talking about SPF, it's like, yeah, the jurors find it boring because they don't know these names. But when a telegram no, no, chat really. gets released, you're like, oh my God, I, that's crazy. I didn't know that person. Yeah. So. Yeah. So look, the highlights are, um, of course, Gemini had this, uh, Gemini is an exchange. They've always marketed themselves. This is the, the Winklevi brothers uh, who've been a long time in crypto. They've marketed the exchange as, hey, we're here to ask permission. We're here to do the right thing. We are regulated. We're in New York, like we, which is a very tough jurisdiction to operate in historically, right? Um, and they, they've sort of always marketed themselves as that, right? We're making crypto safe. Uh, we're always going to safeguard uh, customer assets. What was really a surprise and threw a wrench here is, um, of course, when everything went down, DCG, as a holding parent company, had this arm, Genesis, which was doing a lot of lending. Um, a lot of that, they had a huge exposure to Grayscale. They had a huge exposure to Three Arrows, um, which was doing this Grayscale R product and whatnot, and had a bunch of exposure to Terra. As, as soon as, this is, I'm giving a little bit of context. As soon as Three Arrows goes down, Genesis has a big hole in their books to the tune of 1.1 billion or so. Um, and the relationship between um, Genesis and Gemini is that Gemini use Genesis. So basically, if you're a customer in New York or any other state where they were licensed to operate in, you could uh, deposit a bunch of crypto, beat Bitcoin, ETH, and whatever, and earn some yield on that. That was called the Gemini, sorry, uh, the Gemini Earn product, which is, hey, look, if you have your crypto, you're long, you want to earn some yield, and the yields kind of varied, but it was, you know, when record growth, uh, where interest rates are zero, you're getting five, three, six, seven percent, potentially even more in some of these assets. What was going on, um, and they always marketed that as kind of, I think that started around 2000. Uh, uh, 2000, I want to say 2021, I believe, in or around that time. Um, and they used Genesis as the primary uh, counterparty here, where they would send the customer deposits to Genesis, and Genesis would then do their right magic, and they would share some of the yield, right? What Genesis was doing was was sending it to other people that were probably doing some ARB on chain or doing some other things. And they were getting caught at that. And so uh, you, the, um, so when it was back to the complaint uh, that just came out, the Winklevi and uh, Gemini were always very vocal on Twitter publicly that Barry who oversees and runs and founded DCG and the Gemini and the Genesis team were um, misrepresented the financial condition of Genesis, right? The counterparty. And because of that, that was fraud, right? I mean, um, the 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 thing that Gemini had to constantly underwrite was the risk that uh, um, Genesis might go down, and that their customers, if they ever wanted to redeem, always had the ability to redeem it quickly, and the money was always there. Um, and so the complaint just details uh, the, the big surprise is that 
it's not just the 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 New York kind of uh, what is it the Attorney General's office, but goes after both Genesis and Gemini. Both were kind of complicit. Both were acting and did fraudulent schemes, as they call it. Um, as you mentioned, Gemini misrepresented that it was a safe product because they knew internally the board discussions. Uh, there was a couple of members of the board that at some point, like after Terra happened, they had a board meeting in the summer uh, and they highlighted that Gemini, uh, sorry, Genesis um, was like basically junk bond uh, status. Right. They had like an internal rating system. They had it a triple B, which is eh, subpar. And then they downgraded to junk internally. And then they were really deliberating around the fact that they thought that it was a, a very crappy counterpart and they should disband to solve the earn uh, product. Because the idea is if you're investing in a junk bond, well, you should expect to earn 14, 15, potentially 20% or more if the risk is that high, but the earn product was giving you like four or five. Well, that sounds like a really bad trade. You should probably not uh, do that. More, more importantly, there were they had done some kind of risk assessments where if if prices were to, you know, crypto being volatile as it is, if the prices were to, and this is around Terra, like it was pretty volatile around right. like summer of 2020. 2021 or 2022, 2022, I believe. Um, and so they were of the mind that if prices were continued to be really volatile and continue to decline, like it was a material probability that customers would actually be impacted and there would be huge losses. Um, and moreover, they continue to take in customer deposits even after internally some employees kind of like withdrew, stopped using earn and the internal, basically they were very much in the know that there was a very high likelihood that the counterpart was going down and they didn't stop mm. it. And that, and that's uh, you know, pretty damning, I think. Um, and of course the other side of the, the other side of the kind of the complaint, if you call it that is that detailing very clearly that um, um, Genesis totally misrepresented their financial condition, both to counterparties like BlockFi and Gen and Gemini um, they kind of um, concealed this huge hole that they had in their balance sheet, very similar to FTX situation. Um, they publicly said that their financials were strong, that DCG had stepped in to kind of plug the hole, which was not the case. They had they did this promissory note of like to repaying 10 years with 1% interest rate. They omitted certain footnotes when they sent it to their counterparties like Gemini that would uh, very clearly... Uh, uh, the footnotes would have made it very easily to understand that the hole was very much still there. So anyways, um, again, not very dissimilar from FTX, right? This is a asset liability mismatch and uh, not really understanding your counterparty risk. And the fraudulent part here is the misrepresentation yeah. to customers and to counterparties of your true financial condition. So anyways, that's... Uh, long TLDR, I guess. Mm. Good summary. I so it, I think Genesis is going to be at Genesis is dead, and Genesis is going to be yes. one of these companies that I would actually compare it to Mount Gox in that people who were in the industry in 2013, 2014, Mount Gox was so central to the industry, and now people who are in the industry like it's uh, it's almost this mythological thing. Mount Gox, Gemini sat at the center of everything in crypto. Right, it was the first OTC Bitcoin desk in 2013. They were the largest lending desk by country mile, 
and I pulled some of their we have uh, we have their Q4 2021 numbers. 50 billion in loan originations, uh, 12 and a half. This, this is just in one quarter in Q4. 12 and a half billion in outstanding active loans, 31 billion in spot volume traded, 21 billion in derivatives traded. So that is uh, those are some remarkable numbers that are just uh, yeah ten, tens of this billions. Is- it's like Lehman Brothers. I mean, they yeah. had uh, tentacles and touched pretty much every large player in crypto. I remember I sent this out. So here's here. Let me share this. So I sent it. Can you see this? Yes. I said if this. I tweeted November 2022. If this really is the end of for Genesis, this is when some of the rumors were coming out. Remember, we recorded that episode with Fubar, which is actually our most listened to episode of all time. Um, I said th- uh, the end of Genesis could be more impactful for. Uh, than even FTX. FTX hurt liquid funds and co- consumers. Genesis impacts nearly every company in crypto. And if you look at the company I highlighted here, I said, why is the downfall of Genesis so bad? Dozens of companies like Gemini use Genesis to help their consumers earn money, uh, earn yield. If you're a CFI platform that, that offers yield, you probably use Genesis. And I actually screenshotted this Gemini page that said, earn interest on crypto with Gemini earn. So it's yeah. crazy, man. Yeah. 10, 10 months, 11 months later, here we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So lo and behold, DCG and Barry Silbert, um, issued a statement in response to the NYAG civil suit. And I quote, we fully intend to fight the claims and look forward to being vindicated in this case. DCG has always conducted its business lawfully and with integrity. We have actively cooperated for months with the attorney general's investigation in an open and transparent manner. We are blindsided by the filing of the complaint, and there is no evidence of any wrongdoing by DCG, Barry Silbert, or its employees. Uh, and Barry, that was a statement from DCG. The statement directly from Barry was as follows. I am shocked by the baseless allegations in the Attorney General's complaint and intend to fight these claims in court. Honesty and integrity have always been my guiding principles. Last year, my and DCG's goal was to help Genesis weather the storm caused by the collapse of Three Arrows Capital and position Genesis for success going forward. It is unfortunate that this lawsuit omits that fundamental fact. Yep. So I think one of the, it, folks. I, th- I think one of the kickers here is that uh, Attorney General, what's, what's her name? James, I think it is. Damon? I think it's... I don't... I just, oh, yeah. uh, no, James. I think it's uh, I forget her oh. first name, but James. Anyway, said uh, said that they defrauded comp- companies of more than a billion dollars, but also included this big number, two hundred and thirty thousand individual investors, and that's mm-hmm. why I think we've got another FTX case on our hands yeah. here. It's you're correct. It's uh, Letitia James, I believe. Letitia James. That's right. Letitia James. Yeah. Um, how do you think this impacts the? GBTC, uh, I think a lot of folks thought that the uh, Grayscale was going to be the first to convert into a Bitcoin ETF. How do you think this impacts the GBTC conversion? Oh, it's a million dollar question. I think it definitely hurts them. I would be, I mean, I would be surprised if it doesn't compute into the sequence of that. Whereas if you're going to have the first ETF, would you want to go with this organization that is drawn in the middle of this drama noise. I think as an industry, we don't want that to be the first. I would much rather have BlackRock, to be honest, like a powerful launch. Like, let me ask you a question. If you're the head of marketing of crypto, all of crypto, who would you rather have as the first steward of an ETF? Bitwise. There you go. Oh, well, Bitwise. Bitwise. Not, Not DCG. 
like not great. Not, not DCG. That okay. with that being said, so I think this really hurts their chances to convert the GBTC into the spot ETF. That sucks for oh, consumers, totally. though, right? It, yeah, it yeah, will yeah, continue. I mean, the best move for 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 GBTC shareholders would be to convert it. Um, but I don't think they without would. a question, I don't think they would. Look, so. uh, without a question, it is absurd that you are paying two. What is it? Two percent, five percent fee? Yeah. To, yeah, on something. this product where an ETF has 25 basis points, like they were just getting ripped off. Plus it trades at a, at a discount. Look, it's a closed end mutual fund. So, okay. There's a time like the liquidity discount. I get it, but you're absolutely right. Consumers are being hurt. Now the premium has definitely compressed on GBTC and ETHE. Like at its worst, it was like close to 50% discount GBTC to Bitcoin spot. Now that is down to fourteen percent, twelve percent, which look is kind of more in line, uh, but it's traded at its uh, uh, tightest range. Uh, uh, for for memory, historically for years, it's traded at a premium. Uh, folks should go listen to the Bitwise episode to understand a bit of those dynamics. Uh, it's really just why an ETF is so important. But yeah, succinctly, I think it does impact their chances. Yeah. Hmm. Being first, I do think Bear, that they Bear, were. Barry looks. I, I know some of these are just allegations from 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 the Winklevoss twins and stuff, but man, Barry looks horrible here. Used a lot of tricky accounting to basically hide a billion plus in debt and look the profits. People should go watch smartest guys in the room. Uh, yeah. Well, look, I don't have the full picture, but if I were in history, if Cameron is right. Correct. Let's hypothetically assume that you're in that in that position, in that hot seat. You just get a call two in the morning from Mike Moore and says, "Hey, three hours is going down. We have a huge exposure on our books." Uh, it's a thumb. No, I'm not. Anyways, <laughs> you got to turn that off. That's like yeah. can't be talking about uh, the comparison of DCG to yeah, MR. I'm not giving a thumbs up. <laughs> going back to it. Um, if you get that call three in the morning, you say, "Hey, three hours is going down." What do we do here? We have a ton of our books. We're basically going to eat it and we're going to have a billion dollar shortfall. You're Barry. He's made a pro, he's worth multiple billion dollars. His holdings in DCG alone, right? DCG is in the secondary markets up to one point was worth eight, 12, 15 billion. He always rovered like I even at one point wanted to buy DCG. Uh, I thought it was, you know, a massive business with multiple different business lines. Anyways, uh, I'm glad I ended up doing that. That deal was rovered. Um, and what do you do? You at that point say, what is most important? Like I have a golden goose here, which is grayscale, which is printing cash flow. Now that might go away if it gets converted to an ETF, but still you're going to say, look, personally, I will make it whole because that is the most important thing for this industry. Like, and we will survive. We will live to see another day. Like it's going to maybe take us a few years but we'll we'll see it through and it's the right thing to do. That's what I would do. Like just instead of, to your point, doing this promissory note, which was just hiding the loss and not doing anything, right? Yeah, you just moving, make immediately loss from one of your companies to another company. Yeah, it's, it's just it's just shuffling, internal shuffling and not fresh capital. Yeah. Correct. But I also think though the Winklevoss twins should have injected their own capital. To cover the losses of, of earn, I think what were the losses of, of earn people? Four hundred million or something, or was it one three hundred or three to no? It was, I think three to four hundred million. So I think three hundred forty-two I mean, million. Or who something. am I to say someone should step up and pump four hundred of their own million into a company? Look, but I do think this happened in the financial crisis. 
this is what I, if I were Cameron and the Winklevoss twins, I would say, I'm in this for a long haul. You call if you don't want to, you know, I would you could pledge your own stock in Gemini, uh, and then take a you know a loan or whatever and repay it at some point. Or you could just do a bridge financing, have call like a, one of the Apollos of the world and say, hey guys, we're in a tight spot. We need some capital because. We got hit and we did some dumb stuff, but you know, the business is still sound. It's a great exchange. Reputation. Look at Coinbase, like their reputation, they're synonymous with crypto. And they're uh, what an eight billion dollar company. Yeah. You play the long game and you make customers whole immediately. And I think we would have been in a different spot as an industry if those two things had happened already by now. Yeah. You know? Like why the the more Look, I mean, I don't want to get too philosophical here, but the more you see it in Caroline too, it just, once you start down that slippery slope of making certain statements that were financially strong and you're start lying publicly, it just snowballs from there and yeah. it just becomes easy to do. And then, you know, let me, let me you, read this. You lied. Let me, let me we also the tweets. Are, yeah, go ahead. I know Due to three arrows as default on June 13th, 2022, the Genesis entity's balance sheets were not strong, solvent, or capable of absorbing the losses. The Genesis entities suffered a loss that exceeded all of their equity. In a June 21st, 2022 email, Silbert informed colleagues at DCG that, quote, the hole in Genesis equity due to the three arrows exposure is something that we need to fill by June 30th, so in eight days, and asked his colleagues to, quote, Keep that all between us. Three days later, so this would be June 24th, Silbert explained to DCG personnel, quote, we can't just allow people inside or outside to question Genesis's solvency due to Silbert's concerns that this could spark a bank run. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah, My guess is that Barry won't be allowed to trade securities anymore. For the rest of his life after this most likely that's what if, I, if I, I think that's uh the best case scenario for which him. is nuts because how does this impact dcg's venture arm actually dcg's probably i mean what do you, does dc do you think they make it out of this uh anything else on dcg or gemini that's interesting to talk about here well maybe a question to you is uh you know we both have tracked this extensively as it was going down now that it's coming more and more to light, one thing I'll say is I think crypto Twitter got a lot of things right in the spur of the moment, in the heat of the moment. Um, what do you think are the like the ramifications out of all this? Um, I know it's a very broad and open-ended question, but where do we go from here? Have we cleaned up everything, all this mess-ups? Uh, or is there still carnage and how do we get over it? I don't think there's still over leverage left in the system, but I think what people are waiting for is what get what tokens get sold off, right? People are talking about that, whether it relates to Solana or people are still talking about the Mount, Mount Gox selling off Bitcoin. I think that kind of stuff takes years, but I don't think there's over leverage less, left in the system. Maybe fast forwarding, I because I think you were talking about maybe this quarter, next quarter. Maybe if I try to fast forward into the next cycle though, um, what I would, putting on my optimistic cap for a second, what I would hope is that, I think people always thought that CFI was safe and, and DeFi was a little riskier. And I would hope that people realize that it's actually the inverse, right? CFI is just like traditional capital markets, but even riskier because there weren't the regulations and there, there wasn't the transparency. So when I'm getting interest from Bank of America, 
it might be really low interest, but like it is actually quite safe because of all of the regulations that are there. CFI was basically these really high rates, but but one of the riskiest products you could actually put yourself into. DeFi yeah. is, I would call it scarier, but safer. So DeFi, while you might not understand how your Chrome, it feels like a Chrome extension is put it, if maybe for those who aren't as familiar with DeFi, like I think they will get, get more familiar as rates go back up in DeFi and it gets a little more exciting. Um, and people will, I think this will be a really good catalyst for DeFi in the next cycle. That's my optimistic cap. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, uh, DC Investor the other day said that uh, he really liked Bloomberg. As he was talking about like more just the coverage on a number of things. Like, And look, it's I think I paid a lot of attention as this was going down like over a year ago on how they've portrayed this. And my biggest fear was that they would use all of this to say, like uh, some people are, like like Senator Warren is really pushing a tax bill here to really clamp it. Like that would be very damning. Basically saying, hey, this is terrorist use crypto. This is bad. And using the whole kind of drama in the room to just kind of like to that, um, to push that kind of narrative. Um, but I've actually been very surprised in how balanced and informed and objective the discussion has been around why all of this transpired meaning why did FTX yeah. happen? Why did all this happen? And the re- and, and they've actually emphasized this on the right, on air. I mean, of course, there's different commentators, but the, the people that are in Bloomberg Crypto, I'll, I'll give them credit. You know, I'll tip my hat to them because a lot of them said, this is why we need regulation. Because when you don't have regulation, it's the bad guys that exploit it. And the good guys that are trying to do a good job end up being saddled with uncertainty and fear and legal costs. And and the, the bad guys actually end up coming ahead, meaning they go to different jurisdictions. They don't register as a bank. They don't have the proper disclosures, audits. No auditor wants to work with a crypto company. So these are the ramifications, unintended or I think, of not having clarity and regulatory, like regulatory clarity. Yeah. And uh, anyways, I think we've all known that. We've talked about this here, but it is refreshing to hear that more and more people are waking up to this idea even if you hear that some of the depositions in Congress, people in Congress, I think, are very acutely yeah. aware, regulation is and rules are essential, essential. Because look, Coinbase and Kraken are both registered in the U.S. and they've operated exceptionally well. Yeah. Look, you know, they've had their slaps or whatever. They disagreements around like staking, whatnot. But that was not the case. FTX was an entity that went offshore was not regulated by anyone, a kind of operating no man's land. And it's just not the same, you know, but gave you all the false sense of security that it was a company that was like a bank, right? Yeah. You were investing in a stable coin like Terra. Like, no, like, you know what I mean? Like, absolutely, we need better rules and disclosures in this industry. Yeah. I think that's the the hope in all of this, that I'm actually glad that all of this is coming to air, and come into light because that's to your point. That's when you can make the real distinction. Like none of this has ever happened to DeFi protocol. There's other set of security, smart contract risks. Absolutely. Let's talk about that. Let's actually fund innovation that can help that. But it's night and day. You don't have any concerns around a DeFi money market, Aave compound or some of the others being solvent. And if you do, you can always inspect yeah. their balance, like 24-7, 365. Where's the collateral? Where's the deposits? Like, you know, you can see it. And that's not true for FTX. That was not true for Genesis. That was not true for Gemini. And that's not true for any other bank in the... 
that's it. Yeah. Let's talk Uniswap for a few. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Uniswap announced that they are implementing an interface fee switch. They're going to be charging 15 bips on swaps on select tokens through official Uniswap interfaces. Um, mm-hmm. I'd be very curious to, to hear what you think about this. Or I can let me actually share a couple more things about it for people who missed this yes. announcement. So uh, for context, so uni uni token holders control this uh, thing called this the fee switch, which is this parameter in uh, Uniswap v2, v3, and v4 that allows a portion of swap fees to accrue to a to an address, a smart contract address, a, a DAO specified address, um, and the Uniswap uh, community delegate community has for the past year or so, actually even longer than that, um, repeatedly tried to turn on the switch, but they failed every time, I would say, in their t- in their attempts to do so. And uh, un- the reason they wanted to do that is it accrues more value to the Uni token. Um, so in this case, what they're doing is the decision that Uniswap Labs is making in the way that I understand it is actually accruing more value uh, with, with this decision back to the equity holders of Uniswap Labs as opposed to the the uni token holders so i think some of the uni token holders are not so happy with uniswap labs um basically turning on the fee switch before they as as delegate delegates were were able to do it so um that's a little bit of context here would would love to hear what you think of it though that's great summary the this the the source of grief here is amongst uni token holders that say on one end the majority of uni voting power is voting no on the fee switch from VC investors, presumably, and other entities that have received that delegate delegated vote. Uh, but now you go out and slap a 15 basis point fee. I don't think there would be any problem if the fee switch was on for uni token to accrue some of that, um, you know, that is being kind of now in the vesting contract, in the admin contract. Um, and, you know, the front end can charge whatever, right? And because... And, and, you know, my point was, look, at the end of the day, you can still interact with the Uniswap protocol. You don't have to go through their front end. The front end that Uniswap Labs, the company, um, developed, if you go through that front end, you're going to be charged this new fee, which is 15 basis points for every trade. That money is going to go to the, you know, the Uniswap Labs team that is, you know, developing V3, V4, and some other stuff, and hosts maintains the front end. You can, you know, most people I'd say are not sophisticated enough, which is a problem to go directly to the protocol, but there are alternatives. You can use an aggregator, you can use other kind of matcha, one inch, some of the other, like there's a number of other front ends that you can go through to interact with a protocol where the liquidity sits. Um, So, you know, wallets charge a fee too. I don't have any problem with that. But I do agree with you that the, the problem and the nuance here seems to be the the fee switch, right? Yeah, on, on a lot of people charge a fee, right? Wallets charge a fee, yeah, centralized yeah, yeah. exchanges charge a fee, Look, right? I'm surprised the, it took him this long. <laughs> yeah, it's just I don't think you can have a token. I don't think you can have the, the protocol charge the fee or the token becomes in the eyes yeah. of a regulator, right? There's there's tax implications. There's not only legal implications, there's tax implications for that too. And yeah, I don't think yeah, they want yeah. to deal with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, I mean, it's always been this um, um, intricate relationship between having both equity and tokens issued. Um, and I guess the, it begs the question, well, if you own equity in a company that is a developer and develops a protocol, you get a piece of that protocol that was developed, but you also get maybe 
residual value in whatever that company ends up doing for that protocol or other stuff. Yeah. Which, you know, is is I've always felt that the 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 real value is in the token, but I do think that when you have both it can lead to confusion and and mixed incentives on where the energy is spent. Of course the argument there is well people should come forth and the Uniswap protocol and the uni holders can actually you know vote and and get access to a lot of the you know the the money that is being accrued and could you know presumably go and fund a lot of these grants right that are you know other teams that might want to build on top of the Uniswap protocol look that's a valid statement i don't think the value in the uni token is worthless here clearly uni token holders preside and govern over a pretty substantial treasury uh, uh, that is being accrued in the protocol. It's just not being distributed as a dividend, so to speak. Um, The nuance, of course, to round out the argument is that when you think about applying for a grant and the voting power is concentrated. And that's, I think, the the challenge. I mean, every protocol is going to face this, right? Maker for such a long time was very difficult uh, to, to get proposals. And you had some people in the community that were very vocal, very active, but they didn't have enough voting power. And so they had to go out and like try to get voting power, which is it's tricky, right? So anyways. Yeah. So BlockWorks Research put together this dashboard that I was just starting mm-hmm. to show you here. This is basically showing the uh, revenue broken down by, by, by the hour. So they're bringing in right now I don't know, it looks like it's like a thousand bucks an hour or something. They've brought in 110,000 since October 17th. If you start to annualize these numbers out, you're bringing in an extra 12 million bucks, 14 million bucks. Yeah. Depend. I mean, these we've, we only have like a day and a half of, of numbers, but it looks like it'll oh. be around, you know, maybe 30, 40, 50 million. It could be 30, 40, 50 million bucks of revenue. Actually, if some of the, like, you see how spiky this is. That- yeah, that's right. 110, that's total since it launched October 17th, right? So that's two days, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Like their biggest yeah, I guess that's hour was yeah. yesterday at 6 p.m. They brought in 20K for the hour. So and you yeah. can start to see like the revenue by the fee, um, mostly on, on, on yeah. wrapped ETH. It's gone down a bit, but yeah, like it's going to bring in at least 10 million bucks here. Like yeah. if you were to like smooth it out, but yeah, like it's, it's a meaningful source of revenue, I think, for the Uniswap Labs team. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say this probably decreases the likelihood of a overall protocol fee switch coming anytime soon, which is inherently probably not good for the the uni token value accrual thesis. But I'm not, I'm not out here trading uni. But that would be my if I were trading, that would be yeah. my thought. Yeah. Um, hmm. Do you think this comes because just last question here, and then we can start to wrap? Is do you think this comes because Uniswap Labs raised that big round several months ago? Now they are forced to start to think about how do you re- return value to those equity holders, if especially if we have to, you know, kind of piggybacks on our conversation last week. Like if you have to maybe go raise another round, you need to start mm-hmm. seeing some some value returning to those equity shareholders. Do you think this is kind of why maybe maybe plays a role there? I think it definitely plays a role. The viability of, I mean, look, wallets exchanges uh, can be hugely profitable. MetaMask. Yeah. Oof. People should look, I mean, I think they charge way more than 15 basis points. I think it's like a full percentage point, like 100 basis points or so. But, you know, these, these, uh, I think the, 
the maybe the internal question is how do we sustain ourselves as a developer team for the Uniswap protocol and build some of these other products uh, and and maintain the front end and develop v4 and hire a bunch of other technical people um, without necessarily having to sell uni yeah. and have it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because yeah. they, they, they will receive a pretty substantial part of investing of the uni token. And I think part of the question was, well, do we necessarily want to sell uni in the open market or to uh, other investors? Or we just turn on this fee switch and, you know, minimize our burn and maybe turn profitable and own our own destiny without necessarily yeah. selling the uni token, which is honestly maybe something that uni token holders may want to consider here. Which is if you have a huge substantial uni holder that is going to become profitable, and instead of selling uni to finance or operations, well, is this really bad? Time will tell. Yeah. But something to consider at least. Yep. Um all right, before we wrap, I got a surprise for you, especially when you come to oh. New York. Are you shaving your head? <laughs> Pudgy penguins. We got an airdrop of uh <laughs> what's that we're gonna do an unveiling an unboxing so we got this box big box pudgy penguins last crumb i don't know what last crumb is is it like cereal no don't open it all right we're doing a live unboxing oh are you unboxing right now oh wow oh, oh a little box within a box okay that's a sick box right there that is a nice box wait come on open okay. the box Clear instructions. Yeah. Unlike many other crypto. Oh. 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 What is that? that? Netflixing. These are cookies. These are cool. Yeah. And the, the Donkey Kong, the Netflix and Crunch. Everything but the candles. Interesting. All right. So these are just, from, are you going to eat last them Last crumb from your favorite penguins. Dive into your delicious last crumb cookies. Share your treat on social. Don't forget to tag us, blah, blah, blah. Don't forget to grab <laughs> a pudgy penguins plushie at Walmart. Respect the hustle. Yeah. yeah. Hey, folks. Well, if you want to up your game, you know, we we like hoodies. We like, what else <laughs> <Yeah>. do we like? <laughs> well, Scroll sent us some stickers. We like, we don't All like, right. we, we don't, I mean, we like stickers, but we, we, we like cookies more, so. Oh, wow. right. Okay, well, save some for you. you're coming those. in what two, three weeks to run the marathon. I'll save some for you. I guess I'll have to carbo load with some of these cookies yeah, or exactly. post marathon. That'll be my motivation as I'm like struggling <laughs> to run this thing. Be like, well, at least the like next Netflix and crumble or crunch is waiting for me at the finish line or something. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, man. Good, good pod. Right. That's the pod. Good pod. Yeah, that is the pod, folks. Thank you very much for listening and tuning in. I had an idea. I had an idea, and I'll just leave it that of course jason continues to um skirt and avoid the ultimate elephant in the room which is when is he going to shave his head i told you when so i'm willing i'm willing to throw a proposal oh god and i don't usually negotiate when i win but because you're a friend if you shave your head i'll shave my beard and for context i have not shaved my beard since my time at JP Morgan as a second year investment banking analyst. That was 10 years ago. I've always had a beard <laughs> for the last. And when my sister got married, my mom hated me for it because she felt that I would look terrible in the pictures. I would ruin it. And she begged me to shave. And I said, no. 
So if you shave your head, I'll shave my beard. And of course, it has to be before November or maybe after. We could do it live while we're recording live. Maybe live at there. At maybe at the Digital Asset Summit. March, London. Dude, March is like eons years away. Yeah, I'm punting. Like, I'm punting. <laughs> clearly, wifey doesn't want you to shave <laughs> yeah. for the holiday. Thanksgiving, Christmas. Yeah, I told yeah, you. I told you. you ha- I, t- dude, I told you you had to do <laughs> yeah. it. Now you're boxed in your corner. Kind of free. I don't think, a, I don't think a, a bald, being bald would be nice, but like I think it would be kind of nice to have like a buzz cut free of you know your hair and no comment and this is i'm just going to end it there because people please drop your comments here what you think about this bus cut it's it, it's That's the pod. shaving rapid. That's, That's it. it i'm done <laughs> <laughs>